So like I got high while I was in the mission. That was the breaking point. The guilt that I felt for the first time in my life, I did something different. And I called back to the mission and I spoke to someone at the mission who was like, to stop. And I listened. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, we're in the home stretch. We only have uh, really a few more weeks left as we continue this year-long podcast where people from Collective share about their lives, their highs and their lows, the peaks and the valleys, and and really um, what role God has played in their life. And if you hear the, all the stories, you'll go back and, and hear some stories where... Uh, you know, in the highs and lows of life, people felt God's presence, or it was in those moments where they realized that they needed God's presence. And um, so I just encourage you, uh, as we move into this episode today, finish this episode and go back, make sure to listen to all of them, because it really is a whole complete series. And while you can't isolate one episode and and see God moving um, right now, uh, the power really is in everybody together sharing their stories and being vulnerable um, and talking and being honest about their brokenness, what God's doing in their lives. And so um, today we have a really good episode. This one's uh, one I've been uh, excited for for a long time. I only know bits and pieces of this story, so uh, really excited to join in you and listening to um, all of it at, at once. And I'm joined today by Rob. Rob, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me today. Um, excited for you to share your story. I know minimal pieces of it. Um, but I know that it's a, it's a story to tell. And so Rob, uh, kick us off. Tell us, where did you grow up? What was childhood like? And then, um, faith was faith involved in your childhood. What did that, what did that feel like? What did that look like? Right, so, um, I was born Silver Spring, Maryland, Holy Cross hospital. I was a, uh, I was an extremely sick child. I was born with a, a heart defect, had a couple holes in my heart. So I was immediately taken to Children's Hospital very, very soon after my birth to undergo uh, a couple heart catheterizations and some surgeries that basically uh, allowed me to live. Wow. Um, I was basically raised by my mother for a long time. Um, my, my biological father was not somebody who ever really played a part in my life. Um, my mother was, was young when she had me. She was like 18. You know, she did the very best she could for as long as she could. Uh, she eventually, she met my stepfather. They got married, had three more kids. The younger part of my childhood was decent. It was decent. Um, I remember thinking my stepfather was probably like the coolest dude in the world. 
you know, he had like the Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am with the bird on the hood. <laughs> Man, and um, I remember feeling like I had a superhero in my life for a while. You know, things ended up changing in early adolescence. My stepfather was an alcoholic and an addict. Living with somebody like that, you know, things are never really what they seem to be. Yeah. So when things with him kind of took a turn for the worse, what became a normal childhood became uh, a lot of turmoil, a lot of stress, a lot of fear, extreme financial problems, you know, eviction notices. Um, there were times when we had to, like, heat water up on the grill to take a bath or run extension cords from the neighbor's house to, like, power the refrigerator and stuff. And that's probably where, that's not price. it's where I learned there was a different way to live that wasn't necessarily, I didn't see it as wrong, but I knew that it wasn't right. Yeah. You know, there were times where I was with my stepfather and, he would do some things that I knew were against the law, but, you know, if we stole the long pipe off the back of the WSSC truck to be able to turn the water back on, like, I didn't, it, you know, it allowed us to have water, man, so I didn't really think too much of it. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it's a survival thing. Yeah. That, that's a hard thing as a kid to try to figure out. Yes. I, I knew it made me very different than a lot of the other kids yeah. in the neighborhood that we lived in. Because they try very hard to keep up an appearance of being, you know, a, a middle-class family living in Montgomery County. And it just it didn't work, man. It fell apart. When I was around 11, things kind of really took a different turn. It was actually a co-worker of my mother's who became a friend of the family. You know, I was not the easiest kid to deal with, man. I, I was... You know, diagnosed with ADHD, I think, in, like, second, third grade. You know, like, extremely, extremely intelligent, but, you know, just couldn't stay focused. Had to get up, sharpen my pencil 50 times. Yeah. You know, yeah. had to, yeah. you know, do something to kind of keep things moving. Yeah. And my parents looked for and appreciated people that might take me in for a weekend or just kind of allow them some time without my crazy self being there. And it just so happened that one of the people that they trusted was not somebody who could be trusted. And that started a couple years of molestation and abuse. That was probably the biggest, most impactful thing in my life. Yeah. Because if I didn't already feel different with my situation, that made me feel very different. That was kind of the beginning and the end for me. My behavior issues became off the chain. Led to multiple stays in psychiatric institutions for an adolescent with just out of control behavior. Did your parents feel like that was just the ADHD or? My mother knew something was wrong with yeah, me, yeah. right? But like she didn't know what. Sure. The professionals didn't know what, you know, in, in all actuality, they saw a kid who was intelligent, a kid who could function in social situations, who could be, quote unquote, normal at times. Yeah. But then there was another side of me that just, um, I found the easiest way for me to deal with the pain 
from what I was going through was to become violent. Very aggressive, very just not nice. I learned how to fight and I loved it. I think that was the first thing that I ever really found a high off of was, was rage. And of course, you know, that, that started taking me down a path of no longer allowed to attend public schools. You know, the trips to the psychiatric institutes turned to trips to juvenile detention centers. Yeah, as you get older. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by the time I was 14, 15, man, I was pretty much, I didn't consider running away. I just, man, like, I, I would just leave. You know, I would get put in a temporary group home, might be there for a week or two, and end up getting into a fight with somebody. Knew that, you know, they're going to end up taking me away from there, putting me someplace in some type of holding facility for 30, 60, 90 days till they found another place that would accept me. And I felt that I would fare better on my own and on the streets. So, like, that's, that's what I did. As a teenager? Yeah. Like as a kid? 13, 14, yeah. and, like, on, on my own. There were times, man, it was really scary. At times in the middle of the night, like, just thinking and believing that I was older and bigger and tougher than what I really was, but being scared to death. You know, there were times when, man, I, I would rummage through garbage cans, man, to find empty McDonald's cups to go in and get free refills. Yeah. Or just try and get by. And this wasn't just, at this point, you're, it's not just Montgomery County, though. Like, you're no, bouncing around all no, over the place. Man, the, the group homes and the foster homes that I was placed into, they were all over the state of Maryland. So, man, a lot of PG County, a lot of Baltimore, and... It led me to understand that if I wanted anything, I had to take care of myself. My biggest fear became being broke and not being able to take care of myself. And as things kind of progressed a little bit, I, uh, I, I ran into, I met somebody who, he was selling drugs, he was selling a lot of coke. He would basically pay me to ride around with him and kind of just hold a stash. And, you know, for me, that kind of, you know, they give me like 50, 60 bucks a day, man. And yeah. I thought like I was, you know, that allowed me to eat, man. It allowed yeah. me to, you know, be able to take care of myself in ways that I couldn't before. He had some friends that would let me stay with them. The ladies were, they were very nice to me. They were very good to me whole time though like they they were they were addicts themselves and and they were doing things to make their money that you know really wasn't socially acceptable either like they became my peoples and they became my safe spot they became my friends yeah looking back now man i can see just how wrong everything was but for me at that time it was just life and i, I kind of went a little far so my mother was the youngest of 10 kids. Wow. And she was raised by an extremely Catholic mother okay. yep. and father. Grandmother was extremely, I mean, like, you know, she's probably one of the only people that probably knew Jesus himself, man. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so my first experience with church and faith was a church in Silver Spring, a Catholic church in Silver Spring, before things kind of took a turn, 
you know, I, I did the Sunday school, yep. did the CCD. Yep. I, I just remember being at church and knowing that I probably shouldn't be having the thoughts that I was having while I was in church and just kind of feeling, I don't know, out of place, you know. One of the things that's tough about faith, too, is like everything that you were going through at that age, then going to church, and they're talking about stuff, and you're going, how does this help me? How, how does this help me with my water? How does this help me get a meal? How does this help keep me safe? How does this help, you know, get me out of the situations I'm in? And that, that is one of the hard things about some church in general, right? It, not all churches are that way, but you're a kid who's going through things that adults go through. And if they're not having conversations about how to work through those things, how to heal from those things, how to deal with those things, that's a hard, a hard experience when it comes to faith. There had to have been a tension there where you're sitting in church going, this, this means nothing to me right now because of what you're going through as a kid. So would you say that like when you were going to Catholic church and even a little bit after that, like belief in God, but no like relationship with Jesus, like, like if you had to kind of like put some wording on that, what would that be? The church stuff started before everything really started taking a turn for the worse in my life. So there was somewhat of a relationship, there was somewhat of belief, but as things progressively got worse, yeah. like there was no relationship. It, it kind of turned into almost, uh, I hated them. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, what did I do that was so wrong yeah. that this stuff happened to me? Yeah. Why was I chosen to be hurt? Like, you know, why didn't I have normal parents like, Tommy and Billy and Joey and down the street, man, why the, uh, and, and it really caused me to just, like, God was not anything that I thought about. Yeah. You know, um, sinning was not anything that I thought about. I did what I needed to do and what, like, I felt like I wanted to do without a thought of what God might think about sure. it or what anybody else might think about it, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, there was just there, there was an empty space inside of me when it came to spirituality and yeah. faith for a very yeah. long time. You know, I remember getting in, into trouble when my grandmother would say, you know, Jesus isn't gonna like that much. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, yeah. you know, she asked me this one time, and she's like, you know, what's the strongest muscle in your body? And I know was pretty young, and I said something crazy, like, I don't know, like my leg if I kick somebody or something crazy. She's like, no, it's your tongue. And um, I don't think I really figured that out till I was, like, in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. And just how strong words and the things that people will tell you are. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that continue to lead me down the path that I was on. It's just hearing from people that, like, you know, pretty much the, you, you're done, it's through. Like, yeah. you're a mess. Yep. You know, nobody loves you. Look at what you're putting everybody through. Why yeah. are you doing all this crazy stuff? Like, you know, you're crazy. You know, uh, and, and just uh, a lot of other words I'm just I'm just not going to say on here. <laughs> yeah. um, we don't need an explicit text. Yeah. That's good, yeah. But uh, I would call out to God. In situations where, like, I I needed help. Yep. You know when the 
stays in the detention centers were longer or I knew I was getting ready to go to court, maybe get sentenced for something, you know, oh, God, help me, you know, yeah. uh, forgive me. I'm not going to do this no more. But, like, I, they were just, man, they were foxhole prayers. And they didn't really hold any weight because, to be honest, man, I just wanted to avoid some of the repercussions yeah. of my actions. Um, but, like, as things progressed, I struggled with my sexuality at a young age because the things that happened to me were done yeah. by a man. It created a lot of confusion in me for a long time. I felt like it was something that was just kind of stamped on my forehead. I felt like if you looked at me and looked at me for too long, you could read it and see it. And I very much turned into one of those people that like I saw you glancing at me, was like, what are you looking at? Yeah. Looking back now, I know God has blessed me in so many ways. I shouldn't be sitting here today for multiple, multiple reasons. But, you know, he, he's looked over me when I've needed to be looked over and been there. When I was 15, you know, I had met a lady who was a few years older than me who had a child, a young child. Uh, but for some reason, man, she had feelings for me. And by this time, like, I was pretty involved in the lifestyle that I was living. And one of the easiest ways I had found to support myself was selling drugs. So, like, at, at 15, I was basically had my own apartment because the lady, she was a couple years older, man. She could get a lease in her name, and I was taking care of my little family. Wow. You know, I, um, financially, I was doing things that no teenage person should be allowed to do. And I found that, like, I was really good at what I did. I was able to kind of be a chameleon, adapt and act like I needed to with the different groups of people that I was associating and dealing with. And... Somehow another man became like everybody's favorite drug dealer. Wow. But you know, that all catches up to you. Yep. At 17, you know, I, I was, I got in trouble and was basically waived from the juvenile system to the adult system. And by the time I was 18, man, like I was on my way to prison. I had got caught in a little town that I ain't have any business in. Um, doing things that I didn't have any business doing. The judge told me that, you know, my city slicking ass was not welcome out there, and he was going to make sure that I knew it. Yeah. And um, he sent me to prison. As a 17-year-old? I, I was 18 by yeah, the time okay. I made like yeah. I was. By the time I, you got in. Yeah. I mean, but I was still, you know, <laughs> man, I remember going to DOC down in Baltimore, man, and I was like, oh, these dudes are big. Oh, they, they grown. Like, I thought I was tough, man. Like, I thought I had been through a lot of things, man. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say gang activity, but there was a lot of, there were a lot of things that I had already been through directly related to the lifestyle that I was living. I was no uh, stranger to guns. I was no stranger to fights. I was no stranger to acts of violence. I was no stranger to any of that. But entering the Division of Corrections, it was a little different. Yeah. There wasn't no place to run. And, man, these were grown men 
and it made me realize just how young I was and I was scared. But truth be told, man, like I, I ended up thriving and always have thrived in situations like that. I made it through my incarcerations, all of them, pretty much unscathed with things happening to me. Not unscathed with memories, though. Sure. Um, but, you know, to, to go back, man, so I, I did, I ended up doing, I think, like three and a half years on that one. Dang. And the lady, she stuck by me the whole time, man. Like, she, she was there pretty much there every weekend. You know, she answered the phone. There, wow. was, there was some money on my books. And in my mind, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go home. When I go home, I'm, I'm going to marry her. And that's what I did. In my mind, I told myself that I was going to change. I wasn't going to do the things I was doing before. Um, but when I came home, like, I was, like, 21, getting ready to be 22. Had never really experienced bars and clubs and stuff like that before. And um, while I was locked up during that time, things also changed for me, too. So, like, during that incarceration was the first time I ever did heroin. You know, one of my cell buddies was somebody who was kind of getting it and bringing it into prison, man. And um, my love for what drugs could do for me personally changed the first time I sniffed dope. Wow. So, of course, like, when I came home, man, like, my jailhouse promises were very short-lived. I was right back to doing what I knew how to do. Yeah, because even though it had been over three years, one thing that people don't understand is, like, the time, three, five, ten, whatever it may be, when you get out, although things have moved forward, it's much easier just to fall back into that place than it is to actually start fresh. So even though, like, things have changed, right, and, like, your connections have changed, the people you know have changed, some of them ended up incarcerated, some have not, you can still just step right back into you know, being everybody's favorite drug dealer and maybe by force, right? It might not be with an open door, but even though time has passed, the life that you were living kind of just keeps side by side with you. I mean, honestly, it was easier Yeah. when I came home. And, um, you know, I've always been very charismatic. I've always been able to, I don't want to say make friends, right? Because a lot of them weren't real friends. Sure. Right? I've always yeah, been yeah. able to kind of be accepted. Like I said, I've, been, I've been able to be a chameleon. Um, so when I came home, like I had a lot more connections than yeah. I did before yep. I ever went in. Yep. Um, and whereas, you know, before that incarceration, you know, I, I mostly just, I sold weed, you know I mean? I would sell a little bit of coke here and there, but like mostly I sold weed. When I came home from that, like I was selling coke and dope. Yeah. And I said the bars scene was very different cause I could go. Yeah, and, and different group of people, too. Different group of people, man. And, you know, for someone my age, already having kind of gone through going to prison, coming home, it almost gave me a certain amount of clout and a reputation that uh, allowed me to progress and get deeper in that yeah. than ever before. Yeah, and you also understand what prison's like. And so the risks you are taking don't feel as risky because you're like, hey, it wasn't that bad. No, I, to be honest, I mean. You did all right there. I, I did yeah. great. Yeah. I did great, and I lost the fear. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what keeps a lot of, the majority of, uh, of people from going or, or breaking law 
is, you know, they're scared of the repercussions. Yeah. At this point, like, I had no fear. Like, it's the worst you can do to me is send me yeah. there? Like, cool, man, yeah. no problem. And my marriage did not last very long. Barely three years, and that included, like, the year of separation to get divorced. Wow. Her and I had a child together. My son was about four months old when I had to go back for a violation of parole. I was only gone for, like, a year. He's a little longer, like, 15, 16 months. But, like, yet again, like, she was there. She did everything she was supposed to do. Uh, kind of forgave me for a lot of my indiscretions. But, like, I came home and did the exact same thing. And, you know, she very much told me, like, listen, you got to choose. You got to choose the life you live in or choose this family. So I very calmly just, you know, packed up all my stuff. Wow. I took my car, my bike, and some clothes, man, and I left. And I hurt her. And I hurt my son. And to this day, those are relationships that I have not been able to mend completely. Yeah. But that allowed me to completely submerse myself in the life I was living. And as I was doing all of this, you know, my use of drugs picked up. You know, I never, ever, ever wanted to be somebody who did coke. The heroin, you know, if you weren't shooting it in your veins, you weren't a junkie, man. If you were just sniffing some dope, you had a hustler's habit, man. And that was very acceptable with, you know, the people I was around. Yeah. And I, I was making, I, I did really, really well doing what I was doing. So I saw nothing wrong with it. My only problem was that I just could not put together long periods of freedom without, you know, something happening. Get pulled over, I got a gun and drugs in the car. Okay, well, I'm going back to prison, you know. Come home, you know, and it was just the same cycle over and over. But truth be told, like, I became more comfortable living in prison than I did on the streets. Wow. Uh, I felt more comfortable in a room full, uh, and to be honest, still to this day, feel more comfortable in a room full of drug dealers, extortionists, kidnappers, convicts, like, than I do sitting next to, you know, Tom the accountant or Joe the plumber. Yeah, you know. I want people listening to know, too, like, this isn't a you being like a judgmental toward the way they're living. It's just when you know you're with people who have been to prison, you know you're with people who struggle with addiction, you know that the pain that you have felt, they have probably felt, right? And there's there's some, we've been through some stuff that the dude sitting next to me probably hasn't gone through. That, and you know, I was accepted sure. by that group of people, civilians and just, you know, regular people I always felt less than yeah you know even though I might dress better have a better car at the time make more money I knew that I was not normal like they were sure right so you sitting next to regular people man I always felt like everything about me was just so transparent and they were thinking so many Negative thing, like I could never kind of be on the same sure. level sure. as they were, and prison just it changed me. You know, while I was incarcerated, man, I became uh, a member of an organization that allowed me to be as angry and violent as I wanted to be. Looking back, there are parts and periods of my incarceration, man, were just. Things that would affect pretty much anybody didn't affect me. Sure. 
right? Um, you know, you're going on lockup for a year. All right, cool, no problem. You know, didn't really think about it, but, like, a year without real interaction with other people, man, like, it has an effect. Yeah. But for me, it was just another – it was just, just – just another calendar, man. It was just another year knocked off until I was closer to going home. But, you know, a, a year on lockup, man, that, that's a year without phone calls to the kids. That's a year without visits. That's a year. With, and, but those things felt very normal and acceptable to me. And going through all that, I never realized the effect it would have on me later on. Yeah. You know, the acts of violence that – I perpetrated, man, uh, just regular occurrences until they weren't or until, like, I started having nightmares and night terrors about the things that I've done. And it just, during the moments, I thought it was all cool. But now, having that God in my life, Right. I realized that, man, there's a lot of things that I did that just weren't who I really am. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I would even say, too, just to to push that a little bit further, like people who know you and know your story, right, because people that you're close to know a lot of this stuff, but people who see the way you, you interact now with people, with your kids, with your grandkids, like – would never guess the extent ever one of the most loving kind thoughtful people that i've come across especially considering what you've been through but at the same time in order to get to that place there's a lot of stuff that you'd been through and a lot of stuff happening in your life all by the age of i mean by the time i was 24 I had pretty much resigned myself that my life was going to be yeah. in and out of prison until I finally caught a sentence that was going to keep me there for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because by the time you were 24, you'd already been in and out. I've been out a couple of times. I had my first incarceration, going back for a violation, had uh, caught pretty serious charge that included, you know, drugs and firearms. And I had heard it from everybody else. I had even heard it from, the, like, the old timers in there. Like, yeah. You know, oh, well, you, you're going to keep coming back. Like, you're going to end up doing the rest of your life on the installment plan. Oh, gosh. I've I, never heard that phrase before. I mean, that's yeah. what it was, though. In yeah. and out, in and out, man. And, and I believed all those things. I'm going to go as hard as I can, as long as I can, until they put me back in here. Yeah. And that was with everything. That was with drug use. That was with the relationships with females. That was with the drug dealing. Like, I did not do anything half-ass man like I just yeah um and I became emotionless I accepted everything that I was doing man and, and I really just didn't care you know I, I realized you know during some of that man like I was just so narcissistic man just and, and you know there were other mental illnesses that kind of played a part in this too man I've been diagnosed with PTSD uh bipolar it, it Michael I was not happy I, I felt alone most of the time even in a, in a room full of people I felt like even the people that were closest to me I had to kind of like watch out for you know I, I've been I've, I've been robbed I've, I've been kidnapped I've been shot at I've been 
chased by the police. I've been bit by the police dogs. I've been beat up by the police. I've been in situations where it was somebody else's life or my life. And I just didn't allow myself to feel any of that. You know, I continued to numb myself with the drugs and the alcohol, uh, meaningless relationships. But I think all I know, all I really wanted was to be loved and accepted and be a part of a family. And that is kind of what pushed me deeper into the gang life and like the, yep. the organization. I knew I was broken. And for a very long time, I just didn't want to be fixed. I kind of felt like I deserved everything that came my way. I felt like I'd never find anybody who kind of just accept me for me, knowing everything about me. Yeah. So I felt like, you know, in the times that I did try to do something different, I had to kind of put on this completely different disguise be somebody who I really wasn't. And I think it was apparent to a lot of people. I just wasn't a good person. And my addiction, man, it just progressively got worse. So, you know, what was a very acceptable drug use with my circle turned into me trying and doing drugs that weren't acceptable. And I ended up turning into the one thing that I said I was never going to be. And that was like an addict. And I could hide it very, very well because I did well with the other things that I did. So, you know, you could never, you wouldn't run across me not dressed nice or you wouldn't run across me riding a bus or, you know, my hygiene bad or being unkept. I would lock myself in hotel rooms for weekends or weeks at a time with people that I didn't have no business spending time with doing insane amounts of, of drugs just to feel numb so I didn't have to feel. Yeah. I never felt like I was worthy of anything different than that. And I'm not going to lie, I still struggle with it. Yeah. And I don't partake in any of those things today, and I still struggle with who am I, where do I belong, can I be successful, am I worthy of being loved, trusted, respected by anyone? And now as a 40-something-year-old man who is married, committed to his family, to his relationship with his wife, who comes to church, who tries to help other men, who is trying to be someone different and be the man that I know I'm supposed to be, has so much like self-doubt, insecurities, and just things that I don't even like admitting that I struggle with. I know all the things that I've done. I know all the pain I've caused, and I know everything that's happened to me. It hurts, still to this day. I can become a child again in my mind who can be extremely hurt 
the moment I become disappointed or the moment somebody doesn't meet my expectations, even though I might not let my expectations be known. Yeah. It's one of the hard things about um, healing. You know, it's one of the hard things about growing. You know, one of the things that you've made clear as you shared is like you, you knew things were missing. You knew there was that void in your life. There was that pain in your life. You knew what it felt like to be loved and cared for by people, even if it might have been the wrong people. And there's this misunderstanding, too, when people um, have life experiences the way you have them, when you kind of get caught up in those crowds or in those gangs, that it's like false community and false love. And the reality is it's, it's not. But part of the scary thing with coming face to face with all the garbage is it is vulnerable you know, so much of your life is one direction that all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to do things right. And you still have that whole group of people that are like, no, you won't. Obviously you're here now and you know, things are different now, but what was the breaking point and kind of the turn in your story? The self-hate. It got to the point where like, I couldn't, I couldn't stay out if I wanted to. You know, in total, I, I've done a little over 18 years incarceration. Dang. And towards the end, like, I couldn't, no matter how much time I had spent incarcerated, I couldn't get 90 or 120 days not violating parole or probation or catching a new charge and just being right on my way back. The, the addiction took control for a while, and... and the worst it got was, you know, um, homeless again. I did have a vehicle, but my name became trash. I, mean, I couldn't even get anybody, people that would front me tens and tens of thousands of drugs before wouldn't give me yeah. $100 worth of drugs. Yeah, because they were afraid you would use it. And I, and I would. Yeah. So, you know, my survival skills became boosting, you know. I go into a store, man. Steal everything that I could possibly steal, man. Go down to the city and stand out on Monument Street or, or wherever I was, man. And I, I'm selling Tide Pods. I'm selling tools from Home Depot. I'm selling any and everything that I could possibly go in there and take from there and resell. And trying to put enough drugs in my body to just take me out. You know, I didn't care about living. I had overdosed. You know, the paramedics and stuff arrived to give me Narcan. You know, they pulled my body out of the bathroom and rolled me over. They said a gun had fallen out of my, waist, my waistband. Seven years, man, I was home five and a half months. Dang. I had just given up. Got to a point where, like, so that they locked me up, and I was in the county detention center waiting to go to court and stuff like that. And I received a letter from my mother. Her and I don't have the greatest relationship. But she wrote me this letter, man, and, and she said, you know, the next time you feel like your life is so bad that you need to inject things in your vein to be able to deal with it, like, do us all a favor and, like, double up on that shit and take yourself out in the woods somewhere where there are no first responders, nobody with cell phones, and just get it over with. And um, when I read that, it didn't hurt. I was angry. I think that bit of anger of one like, you know, how dare you talk to me like this? Like, I'm your first son. Like, you know, you got me effed up, Ma. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that little bit of anger is what kind of sparked something. 
And I didn't get it right at first. But while I was going to court for for that charge, man, I, I started to just kind of be honest a little bit about my addiction. And instead of saying, like, all right, listen, man, just give me my time so Sorry. I can get this stuff over with Sorry. and move on, like, I asked for help. You know, they made me do a little bit of time first, but I ended up going to a six-month drug program, taking some responsibility, taking some initiative for myself. And that's kind of like one of the first times that God kind of started coming back into things. And, you know, I can't say that it was for the right reason. Um, you know, we kind of get passes to kind of go out and go to church. Sure, yeah. And, you know, it allowed me to meet up with, you know, a lady friend at the time and stuff like that, man. But, you know. <laughs> We've seen that. Yeah. yeah, you know, but, you know, he God was working with yeah, me. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, I mean, yeah. He was working. Yeah, we'll take He knows it. what's going to get my attention real quick. So, yeah. all right, listen. <laughs> but bring you around to this. But you got to go here and hang yeah. out here for a little while and listen. But, like, that's when I started kind of getting a little bit of my spirituality back. Yeah. You know, I'd love to be able to say that after that six-month program, I was able to kind of, you know, get things right, but I didn't. I had this nice home plan and stuff set up, and I was supposed to come to Frederick and start going to a recovery house and stuff down here. And I had this beautiful, beautiful plan set up, but when I went back to court, the judge was like, no, like, you're not going to Frederick. Like, you got to stay out here in Hagerstown and Washington County and do this day reporting center program and this and that. Yeah. And I caught this such a serious resentment off of that. Then I was like, yeah, okay, watch this. I'm, I'm gonna come out here and I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Like, you're not gonna dictate what I'm gonna do, Your Honor. Like, you're not that strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, all six months of treatment, this and that, like, you know, I think it lasted about two and a half weeks. And I, you know, I was right out there selling drugs, getting high, you know, knowing that, uh, knowing exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Right? But I, during those six months, man, I met a couple people that have kind of remained in my life, whether from a distance or up close. One of them being somebody who goes to this church now, yeah. you know. Um, but that was kind of like the, the catalyst for a little bit of change. Somehow I was able to finagle, because I got in trouble. I got put out of like the little house that they had me at. They put me back in the county jail for a little while. I had a really good lawyer, though, and she found this, you know, loophole that kind of the way that they had originally sentenced me didn't allow for them to do what they were doing. Wow. So kind of just pushed me right out the door. I continued to kind of, like, run myself into a hole. Basically, I was trying to kill myself every day. When I got locked up that time, I want to say it's like November 2019, something like that. By this time, like I had warrants in, in multiple states and multiple counties. I knew when this is all said and done, man, like I'm going to be sitting for a while. I'm going to yeah. deal with Maryland and I'm going to have to go out to Pennsylvania and deal with Pennsylvania and I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. But I have reached out and I got a hold of somebody in the recovery community out here in Frederick. And was like, hey, listen, like, I know I've told you some things before, man, but like, I'm really gonna try and do something different when I get out of this situation. When I get close to coming home, can I call you and we can figure something out? I said, yeah. And then COVID happened. Yeah. I know everybody, you know, has their own feelings on COVID. But like, if it wasn't for COVID, like, I would not be sitting here today. 
it changed the way the courts were doing things. Yeah. The Division of Corrections had basically shut down. The county jails had basically, like, shut down. I was not one of the people that they said that they were going to let go. But the way it all worked out, it, it, it can't be anything but God. Yeah. Like, like, you just can't. Yeah. I did not get the thing, the time that I was supposed to get for the things that I had done. Maryland basically, like, smacked me on the wrist in a way that I had never, ever in my life experienced before, man. Like, I've always been the type of person where if I, I did it, and I'll admit that I did it. Sure. Once you caught me, like, all right, yep, you got me. All right, so what are we going to do? Let's hurry up. Let's get it done because <laughs> yeah. I got stuff to do when I get yeah. back out there. Yeah. But they always gave me time. Yeah. And, you know, the judge, with everything that was going on, said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a chance here. And he gave me a suspended sentence and basically pushed me out the door to deal with my out-of-state detainers. And with COVID going on, uh, they sent me to one facility out in Pennsylvania. They didn't want to send me from jail to jail to jail. And, yeah. you know, things with the, the video court hearings and stuff were, and, and thank you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, it allowed me to have a chance that I did not think I was going to have. My plan didn't still happen the way I thought it was going to. The judge in Maryland had put a stipulation on there that when I was released from Pennsylvania that I needed to be in some type of treatment center here in Maryland. Yeah. And that led me to the Frederick Rescue Mission. And that's where, like, God started working for me again to, like, where I could really see it. I was not thrilled about going to a faith-based program. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a lot different than what it really was. It's tough. In a good way. Yes. But and, and during COVID especially. Yeah. When I, by the time I made it to the mission, uh, a couple years had passed. You know, don't get me wrong. So it wasn't just like, all right, you're going to do these couple weeks. No, it was a couple years. Well, a year and some change that had passed. June, July of 2021. Okay. And, you know, even while at the mission, I made a decision that, like, one, I was tired of waking up in a cell. I was tired of giving my life to the state, you know, because that's basically what I was doing. Like, they weren't taking anything from me. I was giving it to them. I was handing it to them on a platter. And I went to the mission, started meeting some of the people that not just worked there, but that volunteered there. It was something about them, right, that just shocked me when I realized, like, hold on, you don't have to be here. Like, you just hear, why? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because you want to help us. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, what do you want from me? Yeah. And because that's how I've always lived. It's like, oh, it's quid pro quo, man. Like, you know, you want something from me, then there's got to be a reason. You're going to do something for me. There's got to be a reason. You're going to want something from me later on. Yeah. But that's when I saw that God, man, has powers that are just out of this world, man. They're godly. Mm-hmm. I messed the mission up, though dealing with somebody who was still very much caught up in their addiction. I didn't really want to cut this person out of my life because even through all the bull, they were there. And as toxic and as crazy and just as it was, I wasn't ready to give that up. So like I got high while I was in the mission. That was the breaking point. The 
guilt that I felt, right? Like I just walked out. I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't stay there. Yeah. I couldn't live with it. I couldn't stay there. I couldn't. Uh, I just felt like the biggest POS in the world, right? So I left, knowing that like this was a stipulation uh, of me getting the, the sentence that I got. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I did something different. Instead of continuing to run until they locked me up, I called somebody and I called back to the mission and I spoke to someone at the mission who was like, to stop, don't do what you were doing no more and we're gonna figure some things out. Yep. And I listened. For some reason, I don't know why, man, I listened. I ended up going to inpatient program for 28 days. After that, I went to a sober house in the Frederick area. My first weekend at the sober house, I came back to collective. Yep. Right? And I just have allowed myself to get out of my own way. Asked for help and sincerely meant it. Yep. Right? It wasn't a foxhole prayer. Like It wasn't a, I had already kind of, I wasn't asking for God to be in my life to save me from a sentence or anything like that. I knew that I had already kind of surpassed and gotten past that part. But like I was asking God to be a part of my life because I just wanted something different. Yep. And while I was at the mission, there were some things that just stuck, right? And there were some people who just stuck out. Mm-hmm. And like I, I think I, I said like my first real honest, sincere prayer while I was at the mission. And it was not a prayer for or about me. It was a prayer for somebody else. I got a job really soon after being in the sober house. I was making a decent paycheck. I ran into somebody I had known for a long, long time. Her and I kind of became friends again. I mean, now she's my wife. Yeah, yeah. God has just had his hands in everything that I have tried or have done since then. (laughs) Jen and I were just talking, like we were just friends. I invited her to church. And I didn't really think that she was going to come. Like I kind of was, I was a little, but like she showed up. And I remember sitting in service with her. I stopped hearing what you were saying, right? And I was just kind of looking up, and I was kind of looking at her, and I was looking up. And I didn't hear God or anything, but I just felt it inside of me, like, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And it's been working. Yeah. You know, has it been the easiest? No, not at all. Um, Honestly, I think some of the things that I've had to deal with about myself and just things in my past they have been more difficult now than ever before yep but i'm not clouding my mind and my body with drugs i'm not running from anything you know i'm able to own everything that i've ever done and accept the things that have come along with it 
longest time I was somebody, man, it was the system's fault. You know, well, if they had done this when I was a juvenile, the guy who did these nasty, crazy things to me didn't get two days worth of jail time, but y'all are giving me all these years for doing something nowhere near as devastating. You know, it was always somebody else's. It was always, you know, it's the system. It's just the way it's designed. It's because I had that original... But I took responsibility for mine, right? I broke every law that I broke. Yeah. I've never been falsely convicted of anything. Matter of fact, I haven't even really been to trial, <laughs> man. Like, I've pled guilty because yeah. I did everything that I did. And as I've gone through this process man, and, and really, and so like I, I see a therapist. Um, I talk to people. I talk to other men yep. that I've come to, to trust and, and kind of believe in. So it's almost kind of like the, 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 they teach you, can, you know, do unto others as you want them to do unto yeah. the golden rule, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do or say anything that I would be upset if my wife did or said. And, like, between Jen, my kids the people that I choose to to deal with and like and God and like the things that have happened are just like it's insane yeah people who know you now right would not think these things right and like there's a little bit like you're super tatted up so there's a little bit of that I mean, we still it's 2023 and even more than like one tattoo, people are like they have they've been through some stuff. And you're like, that's not always true, right? So there's a little bit there. But I remember when you came back to collective, because you're really close to to Jake and Danielle. And to be honest, man, when you know people in the recovery community, then you don't see them anymore. Your biggest fear is that you'll never see them again. And I didn't know that until starting Collective and working with Frederick Rescue Commission, where there's these men specifically, but it's men and women that you get really close to, that you know, that you're like, man, you're seeing good things, and then you don't see them again. And naively in the beginning, I would ask Jake, hey, man, like, hey, whatever happened to this guy? And he'd be like, OD'd. And I don't, I don't ask Jake anymore because, you, you know, we, we have a bunch of pictures, baptism pictures up, like, in our team space, and there's people on that wall that have put their faith in Jesus, and then COVID hit and overdosed and died. Mm-hmm. or put their faith in Jesus, then moved back home out of their new community into their old community, went right back into your life and, and died. And when you came back, Danielle and I talked about it and she's like, he's different. I can tell he's different. You know, you started to do the work. And, and part of that is like, I, I remember when you got baptized and, and Jake baptized you and you get up out of the water and you look up and it was just for people who knew you knew when we talk about baptism, washing away your sins, like, for you, it's like, that's a cleansing, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in your life that you no longer had to hold on to. The hard thing, though, is coming out of the water, there's still life. You and Jen, you know, since getting married, you guys are doing such good things. There's still a lot of past life that you're you're working through now. And in a good way, in a healthy way, you're caring for people so that they don't have what you and Jen went through growing up. Um, but that's one of the things that I admire in you guys is that it wasn't just, oh, we need Jesus to wash away our sins. It was like, okay, we need Jesus. Jesus gives us the clear slate. We don't have to hold on to that anymore. Now, 
how do we then love and care for other people so that they don't have to go through what they've gone through? Or how do I, you know, reconcile relationships with people that I need to reconcile relationships with so that they don't end up kind of in the same place? And so much of the past two years of your life, two plus years of your life has been Jesus plus the hard work. And I just want to encourage people listening, like, I wish when you put your faith in Jesus, you know, when you get baptized, when you start realizing, like, I'm going to pray for other people, that it meant everything else goes away. And it doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to hold on to it anymore. It doesn't mean that, you know, your, your identity is not your sin. You know, God calls you worthy. He calls you good. He knows you're capable, right? He goes before us and he fights for us. There's still stuff. And um, you're kind of in that phase right now where faith is there. Life is life is good. But you're still working through. Oh, absolutely! Like I, I can feel God's presence in my life. I never expected that I would end up married again. Jen never wanted to get married, but like God put His hands on things, and it's been it's been amazing and tough at the same time. Yep. Between Jen and I, there are eleven kids and six grandbabies. And it can become overwhelming. You know, God has allowed Jen and I to open up to each other. Because I think for a while she was waiting for me to see and become overwhelmed with things and be like, all right, so I'm gone. Sure. So I'm like, this sure. is just too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was waiting for her to be like, oh, bro, you hid your cra- crazy real well for a little while, but, like, yeah. you got some issues, champ, and you got to work on those before. <laughs> but we've been able to, together, like, hold on to God, yeah. right? And, like, we will – when we miss a Sunday, we're off. The collective online, like, yeah. if we – if there's just too much going on yeah. or – you know, uh, if we're out of town or something, has been able to kind of keep us grounded and, and in touch with God. And because, you know, I wasn't able to serve here while I was at the mission. Yeah. But one of the first things that I did when I, I came back and was in the sober house was, you know, I did. I talked to Danielle and I talked to Jake about, all right, so listen, what do I got to do to serve? Yep. That allowed me, one, it gave me something that I felt like was a purpose. I could hear the service out here in the speaker, yep. but then I also got to sit down for a service. And sometimes that's what I need. Like yeah. I need to hear things multiple times sure, yeah. in order for them to, like, oh, all right, that clicks a little bit. Yeah. And I never had a partner that I felt like I could pray with before. I never had a partner who would send me a text like, hey, just want you to know I said a couple prayers for you, man. I know yeah. you're struggling with something today. Yeah. And the things that have happened in, you know, my, my other relationships. So, you know, my, my daughter, she's 13. I've pretty much been gone her entire life. Yeah. When I came back around this time, I knew, I knew that some things had changed in me and that I was not going to go back to where I was. She didn't know. Her mother didn't know. Mm-hmm. Her siblings didn't know. And just very, very recently, I was able to have a conversation with her mother, and she said, you know, I think that it's, time like you've kind of kind of proven to us yep some things are different if you had told me a couple of years ago that I'd be sitting here with you doing a podcast yeah you know at my church telling my story and how God has affected me that I would have a stable home life 
Like I started my own company this year. I'd have told you, man, listen, you go ahead and bet on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet sure. on this, right? And we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Um I have to have God in my life. I'm still filled with times of worry yeah. and self doubt, insecurities. I need him now more than I, I think I ever did before. And the difference is like I know that he's got me. Yeah. Right. As long as I Continue to suit up, show up, man. As long as I continue to say, hey, listen. And, you know, that was one of the things that I picked up at, at the, the six-month program I did. And there was a guy there, and he was like, listen, man, my prayer is real simple. I can't, you can't. I'm going to get the hell out of the way and let you drive today because, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm a wreck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, you know, he said a couple other little words in there. But he was <laughs> like, man, this is the way that I talk to God, man. And, like, this is the relationship that I have with my higher power. And uh, I don't necessarily talk to God like that, but, like, I'll be in the car and I'll be driving because I, sometimes I feel like I spend the majority of my life driving a vehicle um, and just kind of, like, cut things down. Yep. And just take a minute to to say thank you because I'm really quick to look at myself and my age and feel some type of way because I'm not 10, 15 years into sure. a mortgage right now. Sure. Right? That... You know, I, I'm pushing mid-40s, and I'm just now starting to put importance and, and, and effort into the things that I feel like a lot of men my age started doing 15, 20 years sure. ago. But God has just had his hand, man, in everything. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I was having a discussion with Jen's oldest daughter. She's been going through some things. We were talking, and she's like, man, I'm just trying to figure out, like, man, what is going on? And I asked her, I was like, when was the last time you kind of, like, just stopped and prayed? Yeah. She's of a different faith. Her prayer schedule is very, very disciplined and very kind of strict. And she was like, I haven't. I'm like, all right, well, maybe you should start doing that, Mama. Like, you know, take a couple minutes to – but the moment I drove away – and we had a nice discussion. I Googled her prayer schedule. Yeah. And I started, hey, Suri, set a reminder for, hey, Suri, set a reminder for this, hey, Suri, set a reminder for that. And started, you know, hey, Alexis, man, it's getting ready to be that time, you know. And the Father's Day just passed. And she put something together for me and just said thank you. And it, it was happening the day before Father's Day because she had to work on Father's Day. She called me up and was like, hey, can you stop by my job real quick? And... I did, and she gave me something, and we were sitting there talking, and as I was leaving, like, I just, yeah, man, like, a couple little tears, man, and I just, but I realized not only has God allowed me to have a life worth living, he's allowed me to become somebody that other people yep. can count on yep. can like if I say hey listen I'm gonna try and do this today like I'm gonna try and do it yeah it's not I, I don't just shoot empty words out there anymore yep. like I don't but I'm able to have an impact in a positive way yeah yeah one thing I want to encourage you on too because we, we do this with faith we do it with life where we look at the people around us and and we compare age and we're like I'm not as far into life as they are and or into faith as they are. And there's a lot of like, if you look back, you're like, man, if I did this 20 years ago, what would this be, you know? Um, but one thing I do 
want to say and for people listening to the podcast here and to encourage you on is like, I, I know you're not where you want to be in life when it comes to student mortgage, you know, and it comes to your career. But one of the things that I know is true about you and I've seen it and I've seen it in your family and I'm hearing it now is you are far, farther along than a lot of people when it comes to choosing to heal those relationships with the kids and with the grandkids, because you know that your life and the decisions you've made have impacted your kids. And it'd be really easy for you to just focus on yourself and say, well, I got to get right. And then once I, when I, once I get my stuff right, then I can start trying to help them get their stuff right. But one of the things I know is true about you, you know, we, and we just finished up that game changer series and this comes out a few months after that, but we talked one week about, Hey, one, we got a, we got stuff from our dad we got to deal with, but also you can't neglect the fact that we also then have to go to our own kids and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Or like, Hey, here's what I'm working on. You know, I, I need you to know this. And one thing I know is true about you and Jen is like, that's how you love your kids. Your kids know, like they, they know you messed up. They felt it in their life. They experienced it in life, but they also know that, you know, and that you've taken responsibility for that and you are doing everything you can to move forward. So while you feel like you're not as far ahead in other things, man, you are, you guys are crushing it when it comes to doing what I think we all long for in our own parents, which was for them to realize some things and to have some conversations with us, to, to care about us enough to ask like, Hey, how are you praying about this? To care about us enough to make it a priority in our own life, not to make up for lost things, but that's because that's who you guys are moving forward. Cause it's awesome. And you see it and you see it in your family. It's obvious. Like you, people look at you guys and they, they can make judgments all day long cause, cause people do that. But if they looked at the way you guys love and care for each other, no one would have any clue all the things you fought through to get to the point you're in right now. Oh man. And it, it is cause like this bag is on both sides, but like up until now, I don't think I've ever been capable yeah. of loving somebody the way that I'm capable of loving somebody today. Yep. The way that our faith has allowed us to help each other get through some things of the past. Yeah. Right? It's been amazing. Yeah. I know that like this is just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But I have got to be my relationship with God has got to be good. Yep. And my understanding of what God wants for me in my life has got to be understood so that I can pass that along. Yep. And that was the one thing about Collective that really stood out to me, was there wasn't a lot of sugarcoating on things. <laughs> there wasn't a lot yeah. of like, you know, it, it was very much, all right, this is what we're going to talk about. This is, you know, this is what the Word says. Yeah. Right? And, and this is what Jesus wants you to do. It's not a press for anything else. Yeah. And, and I, I think I put it in my prayer request every week, man, like, you know, to allow for me to be able to hear what God's will for yeah. me is, yep. right? And be able to be strong enough to carry that out. Yep. I don't ever remember feeling like discontent and like this uh, optimistic yeah. about where my life is going. I don't worry about it as much. Like, I just know, like, I just got to keep doing this, this, and this. Like, suit up, show up, man, do the yep. right thing. Yep. Have some integrity and be honest. You know, it's part of the reason why this podcast matters so much. In the fall of 2022, when we, we did this series and we asked people to sign up, you know, it wasn't just to do a podcast, right? It's, it's to create a culture at Collective where people are honest and where they're real. Because, you know, for the people who have been listening to this podcast for the better part of 
you know, three quarters of a year, one of the things that they realize is like, man, we've all been through some stuff and we've all had these experiences. And a lot of us have had childhood experiences. And a lot of us have understand what it's like to grow up with nothing and fight for everything. And a lot of us understand what it's like to fill that void, you know, in our life with alcohol or drugs or pornography or women or even work like these things that leave us unfulfilled and you know if we're not honest about what we've done what we've been through what's been done to us how we've processed it process it we can never truly like actually break out of the things that that we need to break out of it and you know when jesus says god's word is truth and god's word will set us free you know, you take that as a whole because one of the things that scripture tells us to do is to be honest and be real and confess these things and say these things out loud because freedom comes on the other side of that. I know there'll be some people who listen to this podcast, you know, in your episode, and they'll, they'll sit back and they'll go, I could never do that. One of the things that they need to understand is, you know, it's not, you're not saying this for the first time on a podcast. You know, these are things that you've talked about in recovery and talked about in therapy and talked about with friends and that you trust and talked about with your wife and sitting here is just a, a part of that. But one thing I do want to ask you, uh, in light of everything that you've been through in your life, you know, if you, if you could give some wisdom and advice, you know, to the people listening, what would it, what would it be? Don't beat yourself up too bad. Give yourself a chance to be human. We've all done things. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. None of us are perfect, right? I used to say all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, right? And um, when I allowed myself to give myself a chance, forgive myself, and I have not forgiven myself for everything, right? But, like, I've forgiven myself for enough that has allowed me to work on forgiving myself for the more difficult things. And my faith taking a minute to not make an emotional decision, to look at what the situation is, ask somebody about some things first, and to have enough faith to do something different yeah. than what you're comfortable doing. You know, Jen and I owe a lot to Collective. Because when we got, first got married, like, it, was, it wasn't... You know, butterflies and rainbows, man. Like you guys got, you had to go work immediately. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and you know, we had to learn how to communicate with each other. And you know, for a while, you know, collective was there for that too, because we we spoke to Danielle about some things, and Danielle was like, you know, I think y'all should start talking to another couple that's in the church, yep. and they can help you with some things. And their honesty and their stories. One of them told me, like, all right, listen, you know, I think we need to take a, a break on speaking to y'all together and told me like there's some things that you need to get some help with and deal with yourself yep. about yourself before we can work on fixing this yep. and as much as hearing that would kind of like stung right because like you couldn't tell me i was wrong like it was her it wasn't me she was <laughs> yeah. wrong like i'm i'm doing yeah. you know um <laughs> Man, did she? She let me know it too, um, but I did like a listen, yep. right? Instead of taking it and being, oh man, whatever. I, I listened to her. Yeah. Right? So I reached out and I got myself a therapist, and I, and I'm taking the steps that I need to take to be the man that God wants me to be, not the man that 
I think I should be or that I want to be, but the man that God wants me to be. But I had to, I had to give myself a chance. I beat myself up. Yeah. That'd be the biggest piece of advice, yeah. man. Just, you know, God holds us to a standard, right? Yeah. He wants us to live a godly life. But when we mess up, we say things to ourselves that God who wants us to live up to that standard wouldn't say to us, right? And and really, it's Satan. Satan gets in our ear and tells us, you're a failure. You know, you are your past. You are your decisions. Mm-hmm. You'll never get better at that. This is why the way you are. This is why, you know, this is why it's going to fail again. You know, all that stuff. And uh, it, it's interesting because... God who who creates the standard doesn't even whisper those things in our ear. Mm-mm. It's always get back up. You got this. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's grace. You know, you know the right thing to do. Keep going. You know, and it's us in our own head, you know, and, and maybe it's other people in our own head too. You hear those words echoed from like a parent or whatever. Yeah. But man, like we allow ourselves to stay down in a way that God would never require of us when we screw things up. Yep. We've got to replace that voice with his. Because God very much believes in our ability to get up, to heal, to grow, to do the right thing, to fail, to get back up again, you know, but sometimes we have to find ourselves in that place as well and uh, believe in us the way that God believes in us, which feels weird to say out loud, but like, that's what we need. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lot harder than others to get out of that cycle Yep. and say, no, you know what? Like, you're not going to get me like that this time. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. That's good. It's it's not going to happen that way. Yep. Saturday morning. I'm picking somebody up from a jail that I've known for quite a while. And normally I don't do stuff like that. But he wants, from what he's saying, he wants to do something a little different. You know, this is somebody who, in the past, man, like, I think at one point in my life I was ready to kill him. Wow. I I don't think, like, I know. But, like, that's one of the powers of God, man. It's like, God forgave me. Why am I going to hold on to this? When I know that there have been so many things that I've been for, I, I should not be sitting here yeah. today. There's no reason other than God, like, why I'm not in prison for the rest of my life or why I'm not dead. Yeah. But even getting to a place where you can help other people and help other men and bring people here who have been baptized and are, and are working through their stuff. Like, you, you know, when you had your plan a few years ago about like, all right, I got this plan about what, what's going to happen in Frederick. I know this wasn't the plan. You know, now you wanted, you wanted health and growth and, like, and healing and all that stuff, but, but this is where God's brought you. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where you go, man, I had a good plan, but this is, this is a little <laughs> bit better. It, it's his plan. Yeah. yeah. Um, Let him sign off on it, man. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and trust it. I've had a problem trusting anybody. Yeah. Even people that are close to me now, man, like I will still question their motives from time to time. But God has shown me, like, I, I don't have to question him. I don't have to question the people that are extremely close to me. I can trust them. Yep. God's got all of us. So, like, we're going to be okay. Yep. I would not trade my life today for anything in the world. All right, last question. If there was a Bible verse that kind of sits in, in that place. If I had to choose one, and I'm probably not going to say it all the way correct. It's going to be right. paraphrased a little bit. It's, um, nothing is impossible with God. You know what I mean? It's just there's nothing that cannot be accomplished or cannot be done when you have faith in Jesus.
Rob, I think your story um, proves that that's true. And I know there's a lot of people who, who hear that voice or hear that verse and they're skeptical, you know, and, and usually they're in that place that where they're trying to figure it out and they're going, God can't use me. God mm-hmm. can't change me. God can't fix me. He can't, he won't heal me. He won't forgive me. It's not, it's not a lot of that. He can't that he won't. I think for anybody listening on the podcast today, your story is proof that, that all things are possible because the first 15 years of your life would have been enough for people to say, this is irredeemable. The next 15 years of your life would have been enough for people to say, nope, the next almost 15 years of your life. And here you are today. And, and you know, I said this on Easter this year, where if you struggle to believe in like the resurrection of Jesus, like I can give you the facts, I can give you the history, you know, the historical archeological stuff. And like, I, I like that stuff. Um, but the real reason I think people can have confidence in the resurrection is what he's done in the lives of people who society would have said, these are dead people. Mm -hmm. They deserve death. Like your life, your marriage, your family is proof of of resurrection of dead things that can be brought back to life. And, uh, you know, you said earlier, it's just the beginning and and that's the best part. And, you know, a lot of people ask if there's a future of this podcast and once we hit the year, we're done. But, um, you know, one thing I, I really do feel the burden of is to continue to allow people to share their stories and what comes next, because while a lot has happened in the past two years for you guys, like there's so much more ahead and uh, we can't wait to hear what comes next with your family and with your faith, with your life. Um, Rob, it, it means a lot that you would sit here, that you would share, um, that you'd be honest and vulnerable and put yourself in a place where you could get in your own head. You know, I know the drive up here, anytime someone comes to do the podcast, as much as they know that like, God can use this, there's still that voice in your head that's like, don't do it, you know? And uh, But you still chose to sit in this room and have this conversation and share uh, a portion, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of your life and your story and, and really what God has done. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you guys are a part of this church. This church is better because you and Jen and your honesty and your vulnerability, this church is better because of people like you who've said, yeah, this is my life and this is my story, but this is what God's done. And and really when we went to start this church, we went to start this church thinking and hoping God can do the things that, you know, you dream of. God can redeem these things. And uh, and you guys are, are part of like the proof that it's like, okay, like God God absolutely can. And I, you know, we dreamt of it and we prayed for it. And it's really cool to, to sit here and, and hear what God can do when you just show up. And uh, so Rob, thank you so much for being a part of the absolutely. podcast today. Thank you. Um, you know, thank you. I'm glad Collective is here. I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't. The decision to be part of a church is not one that should be made really lightly. And it's not one that, if you, if you don't believe in the things that you're hearing, or, or if the things that you're hearing don't line up with the written word, or you don't feel I don't want to say comfortable, because the first time I walked through the door, I didn't feel comfortable. Like, I kind of felt a little different. But as I continue to come back and listen, have conversations with the people who have started conversations with me. You know, collective is a reason, is one of the reasons that I am where I am today. One One of the first couple services that I came with the mission, I was just tearing up the whole time. I started tearing up with the songs, right? And nobody chastised me for it. Like, nobody, matter of fact, like, there was somebody behind me. They mm-hmm. handed me a tissue, mm-hmm. right? And just kind of, like, tapped me on the shoulder. 
But like that, that was God working through the church, man. And, and I'm grateful. I know Jen is grateful as well that y'all are here. And we hope that can, collective can continue to grow, can continue to be here for. And it's not just the residents of Frederick, because like we travel from Montgomery County yeah. out here. Yeah. I'm sure there's some other people who yeah. travel a little bit of distance to come yeah. here. And um, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Rob, it means a lot. Absolutely. Proud of you guys. Can't wait to see what comes next. Me neither. Thanks, man. Yes, sir.